You realize something right now? There are a bunch of unseen processes that are unfolding all around you. Um, right now, you are firmly seated, okay? At least, hopefully, the chairs, they seem to be in good working order. But the reason you're not floating off of this planet right now is because there's an unseen force called gravity that is keeping you on it. You, you don't see gravity, but you feel its effects, definitely. Also, right now, your heart is beating. Yes, I could tell. All right, you're still there. Your heart is beating and pumping, bl pumping blood throughout your circulatory system. You don't see it. You can feel its effects. You can feel the pulse. You, can, you know you're still living. Your heart is beating, but you don't see it necessarily. You're breathing. You're taking in the oxygen and expelling carbon dioxide. It's an unseen process that is going on right now. There are many unseen processes that are happening. The tides are being controlled by the moon, which is crazy. And that's, that's going down right now. All of these things, the atmosphere, all of these things that are happening around us, the wind blowing, you don't necessarily see it, but you see its effects. And I want you to know this. Just because you do not see it does not mean it does not exist. And just because right now you see a hopeless situation in front of you does not mean that there is not hope. Because in the book of Revelation, where we're going to be today, in Revelation chapter 5, there is a peeling back. In fact, the book of Revelation means, it means that there's a revealing of something. The revealing of the last act of history, if you will. And we've been, on this, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to take just a brief detour into Revelation chapter 5 this morning on purpose, for a reason, to see that the Lamb of God who is teaching about the kingdom will one day bring the kingdom, and we have hope in Jesus. And that hope is hard to see at times because we live underneath the tyranny of the right here, the tyranny of sight. But there is stuff going on in heavenly places, and there is this God seated at the right hand, Jesus, who is making all things new, even if you can't see it right now, and there is an unfolding of history happening. So you will. We just sang the Revelation song about God the Father on the throne. So you got in the book of Revelation, here you go. I know some of us, when we see the book of Revelation, immediately we go seven-headed dragon and the great harlot, and you go, and you're trying to find when happens what, when is this going to happen. And I, I, find, I find sometimes we miss the point when we try to like pinpoint when everything's going to happen. Jesus said, no man knows the times and seasons, the exact, exact points would this all take place with his returning. But we can derive hope and see it here. So what we have is John, the apostle, who's under persecution. He's living on this little tiny island in exile called Patmos. And he has, he has a word from Jesus Christ to the churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And then he goes into a vision in which he is called up to heaven. And he gets to see behind the veil of the unseen world. Come up here and see. And you have God the Father seated on the throne, and he is in this massive holiness is, is displayed by all the lights and colors and thundering, and God the Father is seated on the throne. And then we get to Revelation chapter 5, and the scene shifts a little. So John, this is John writing. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, 
sealed with seven seals. And so if you would, God the Father is seen sitting on a throne and he has a scroll in his hand. Now most of us don't know what a scroll is because we live in the era of books and Kindles and screens, but a scroll was an ancient way that it was an ancient book, if you will. It was wrapped up pieces of leather or parchment, and it, this was apparently a pretty big deal because it had seven seals on it. A seal, if you think back, you can even think about in medieval times if you want to. But even in the biblical times, when a when something a letter was important, it was sealed, and especially if it was from a king or a ruler, it was sealed, and it had the seal of the monarch on it. It was a piece of wax. Look, there we go. You're even rocking it back there. It was something like that. So it was a piece of wax. They put an imprint in it, and there you go. They would have this thing. Now, there's seven seals on it. One seal is pretty important. You go seven, that's pretty big. Seven is a number of perfection. These numbers repeat themselves in the book of Revelation. So when you have seven here, it means the full and complete scroll. So this is a big-time book. You know, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but sometimes we do. Oftentimes when the book is big and leather and hardbound, and you feel like you, could, you need to read it in a, a room filled with rich mahogany, okay? You think, man, that book's, uh, that book's important. This scroll is obviously seen as very important because of the seals in which it's contained. And also the one who is holding the book, the one seated on the throne has this scroll. Then we see in verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Now, again, let's correct our theology of angels real quick. My grandmother used to have a bunch of these effeminate, dainty angels all around. That is not angels in the Bible. This is a strong warrior created by God as an angelic being, and it says he was a strong angel. Every time you see an angel in the Bible, people aren't going, Aw, look how cute that is. My, my grandmother had one hanging from the ceiling fan at her house. It was porcelain, and it had wings, and it tried to kill you because the fan would get going. Now, that was an effeminate-looking one, but it was kind of strong. If it hit you in the head, you're not get knocked out. But just think of a strong angel, this warrior angel, and he says, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? Who is worthy to do this? Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So God the Father has this scroll, obvious, obvious importance of judging by the seals. And the angel cries out, who can open this? Who's worthy to do it? And heaven and earth are surveyed and there is no one found to be worthy. Now, if you go and you look through this, the, the, rest of the, the rest of the book of Revelation is the opening of these seals. And what it really is, this seal contains the unfolding of the rest of the picture of creation that God has set forth. The unfolding, the restoration. There's going to be an opening of these seals, and God's plan is going to unfold completely. Who is worthy to execute God's plan, to open the unfolding of history? Who could it be? Who could it be? Verse 4. And John, remember, he says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Well, that's an odd reaction at first. 
just this kind of just devastation of why why are you crying? I don't know, husbands, if you've ever walked in your house and your wife is crying and you're like, why are you crying? Sometimes you don't know, and she doesn't either. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm going to be equal opportunity. Maybe wives, you walked in your house and your husband's crying. You're like, I don't know why he's crying. We need to go, we need to, go to the doctor, all right? What's the reason for the crying? Why? Why the tears? Well, we have to remember where John is. He's on this island suffering because of his faith. He sees the church, and he sees good things in the church. He sees the gospel, the good news of Christ, being proclaimed in the church, being lived out in the church, but he also sees sin in the church. And if you go back in Revelation 1 through 3, he sees these letters to the churches. Some of the churches are doing well. Many of them have good qualities and characteristics, but many of them have sin in them. Also, you see this. Under this time, there's persecution from the state. So there's sin, and there's persecution, and there's this groaning of creation ready to be restored. And the scroll is the unfolding of the rest of the history that will lead ultimately to a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a judgment of sin, and those who are outside of Christ, and life, and perfection, and glorification for all who are in Jesus. So when the scroll's not opened, there's no end in sight to the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and the persecution. And so his crying is not like, why are you crying? A Hallmark movie, okay? It's not that. It's like history won't resolve. If you've ever listened to music, when there's no resolve, and it just kind of hangs and leaves you wanting more, and that's what history is like. It's, we're hitting this note that doesn't make any sense right now until there's a resolve. And so, who's worthy to open the unfolding? Who's worthy to do this? And they look all over heaven and earth in this scene. And there is not a person on heaven and earth that's, that's worthy to open this. And so John weeps because he looks like there's no... There's going to be no resolution. The pain and the suffering and the difficulty and the church's struggle is going to go on and on and on. And he weeps and he cries and he is in utter despair. And it fits with a lot of times when we look in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, when the psalmist would say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long, O Lord? How long? How long? I was telling the students the other day, I've been doing this thing, this exercise thing called T25. I don't know if you've ever done this. 25 minutes, and it's like, it's from the guy who does P90X, and I'm not man enough to do P90X yet, okay? So I'm doing this, it's 25 minutes of P90X, okay? And so I'm in my living room. Well, I'm in my downstairs room doing this stuff, and I'm just looking like a complete fool. But I get about, I get about five minutes in, and I regret I started this, okay? And I've got 17 minutes left, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, this has to end at some point. I'm just being transparent with you, okay? And I'm thinking maybe instead of doing uh, T25, it should be T17, and I go peace out before I have a coronary, all right? And I'm like, how long, oh Lord, will this exercise continue? And uh, you saw me like a Wednesday night. I had done it on Monday and Wednesday night. I was still like hobbling from all of the squats and things that were happening. If you come to my house and you see something like that happening, you pray for me, all right? Um, 
if you think about that, that how long that, I don't know if I could go on another minute. Push through. I wanted to give you the resolve there. And that's where John is like, how much longer? He's weeping because hope seems to be fading. Who can resolve this mess? And we, sometimes we live right there. If it ended right there, it'd be super depressing. We live right there so many times. We live at that place of weeping. Like, how much longer? How can I endure this? How can I go on? How can hope endure these situations and this time? How? How can I keep walking in faith when it seems so dark? How? How, how, how? How will this resolve? Thankfully, that's not the end. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Remember, if you go back and you look at the scene, there's a scene of 25, or 24 elders, 12 of the 12 tribes, 12, 12 apostles. This is a scene of how God's bringing everything to create to its crescendo, to its end, to its goal. And one of the elders comes over to John, and John is weeping loudly. He says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And so, and so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And so this lion comes out. The lion of Judah, the root of David. This is Jesus from Judah. That's where he hails from, that tribe. And from the root of David, he's in David's line. He's the rightful Messiah. He came in the line of David, and he is seen here as a lion. Now, I don't think he has the, a feline appearance, but he probably has that fierce presence. A couple years ago, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to the zoo there, and we saw a lion. And when a lion roars you know. First off, you're thankful that there is a giant moat and a fence between you and that big thing. It's an apex predator. Not a lot of things can take that out. It's massive, the long flowing mane, the might, the roar shows how big of an animal it is. And so when, you, when the Bible calls Jesus the Lion of Judah, he is this fierce warrior. And he is a conqueror. And so John's in full weep mode. I don't know when will the resolve happen. When will all of this with the church, he's losing hope. And then the, the elder says, don't worry, he's here. And he comes out. The raw, majest, raw majestic power of the Lion of Judah, the one who was prophesied has come and now he's coming again and there's an unveiling in heaven and there is one worthy to open the scroll. The lion, the mighty warrior of Judah. And it says this, he's the root of David. He has conquered. What if I were to tell you that if you're in Christ, all that you ever had to do was conquer 2,000, was completed and conquered 2,000 years ago and you had nothing to do with it? Our salvation is secure just as Jesus is risen and he has beaten death. Those in Christ are more than conquerors. 
He's a lion. And who can beat him? He is the conqueror, this lion. And then it says, <laughs> he can open the scroll. So what happens? And between the throne and the four living creatures, they're there too. You got to go back and check that out. There's a lot of things that we're just kind of getting through. So there's this one, the lion of Judah comes walking up, and that's not the end of the description. Verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So you got the lion and the lamb. That's not two different things. The lion is the lamb. The lamb is walking and alive, but it looks as if it was slain. This is none other than Jesus, who, when he came back and he appeared to the disciples, he was in a glorified body, but he also had the scars of the cross. Remember Thomas? Go ahead. If you're doubting, touch the nail Nail, the nail holes. Put your hands in my side. See, the lamb in his glory still bears the marks of his conquering, which in our eyes is defeat because it led to death. But he's beaten death. And so he wears the scars. He wears them proudly. He said, look, these are my scars. So the lion is the lamb. And the lamb is the lion. And the lamb is living, though it's been slain. And there's more descriptions of this one who is worthy to take the scroll. It says, he had seven horns. Which, when we see that, we're like, what? Doesn't that sound weird? This is getting weird. I got you. There's a lion who's a lamb. The lamb was like it was slain but living. And then this lamb has got seven horns. This is apocalyptic literature, and it's using these vivid images to portray truth. And so this lamb, who has this presence and, and this fierce presence of a conqueror, because he's a lion, and he has living, though he has been slain, he has these seven horns. And these seven horns, if you look in the the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, and you look at the literature that we see, the apocalyptic literature in Revelation, what you'll see is that horns represent power. In fact, you'll hear God called the horn of my salvation. And we're like, that's weird, okay? Have you ever called anybody the horn of your anything? That's just an odd thing, okay? You wouldn't do that. But in this particular context, in this particular culture, saying the horn of salvation represented power and strength, and I guess you could think about it. When animals have horns, you don't want to mess with them most of the time. Okay? I don't. Those look like they could hurt you. Okay? Even deer, they're majestic. You get around a buck and you get too close to one, you're like, oh, I've made a terrible error in judgment. That thing has horns. We one time, there is a, a place in Pine Mountain, Georgia, where our family has um, a cabin, and there's this place called the Wild Animal Safari. You guys remember Jack Hanna? you know, and the animals that he had. Well, he owns this place. And what they do is you drive through this animal safari, if you will, and you, have, they, you buy food. This is the dumbest thing in the world, okay? It, it, it's fun, but it's really dumb. And then you buy these, like, pellets that you can feed them. And these animals, they know that 
you're going to feed them in this car. So do you know what they do? And, like, these are wild animals, like, like water buffalo and longhorn cattle and, and llamas and ostriches. They attacked your car because they're trying to get to that stuff. Like, this is a terrible decision. And I have this picture of a longhorn cow, bull, trying to get in and eat. And its horns in the car by, by the steering wheel. And its tongue's going, ah, like this. And I'm trying to throw the food out without getting, like, impaled by this. And immediately realize I had made an error in judgment. Our car, we, our car, we had to get it washed because there was like tongue prints all down the side. This is true. The horn, you don't jack with that. So you can see that maybe a little bit. Why the horn of salvation? So he has seven horns. Seven, number of perfection and completion. Seven days in a week. What happens? This is strength perfected, all strength and power. The lamb who was slain, who is the lion, has all strength and power. He is worthy and has the power to execute the plan from the Father and to open the, open the scrolls. He is all-powerful. We also see this. Verse 6, and it says, And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw the Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So it gets a little more strange, right? So the Lamb that was slain, the Lion who's the Lamb, the Lamb who's living but looks slain, has seven horns, which represent complete power, and he also has seven eyes, which represents the seven spirits on the earth, sent out on the earth. Okay. It's odd. Now, again, seven, we got number of perfection. Eyes represent knowledge and knowing. You see, you know. We know this. Go back and look at the prophetic literature in Ezekiel and other places. We know what these, what these things mean because we've seen them in the biblical literature. And so when he has eyes, I mean, he is all-knowing. And the spirits of God, it shows that God has all all the knowledge. In this case, the Lamb, Jesus, is all-knowing. He is all-powerful, and He is all-knowing. And here's what I want you to see. This Lamb, who was conquered through His death, burial, resurrection, who now is this conquering lion who has all power and all knowledge, is worthy to execute God's plan and to bring about restoration. Now, there is this idea that God cannot be both good and all-knowing and all-powerful. And I submit to you that that is a farce. Because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is all-good, and he's executing a plan. And just because you don't see how the plan is unfolding doesn't mean there's not a better plan. To pass judgment on God's plan is to think yourself smarter than God. And you would not dare say that in the light, but we believe it in the darkness when our doubt overcomes our faith. 
And I want to submit to you this, that in this, this guy, John, who had seen the resurrection and the life, was weeping a few minutes ago before the elder came and reminded him of something. He said, look. And today, here's what I propose to do to you and show you through the scripture. You may not see why. You may not know why. You may, any number of circumstances have come into, into your life and way. And over the past couple of months, again, I'm just always surprised about the suffering and the difficulties that can come in folks' lives. And also, it, it becomes a, a crucible, a test for our faith. Thankfully, our faith does not depend on us, but on God who keeps us. And he keeps us by reminding us of truth, not by taking away the problem right away, forever on this side. But I want you to know something. Even though right now all you can see is your difficulty and your problem and maybe your lack of hope, here's the good news. There's unseen processes that have unfolded and are unfolding. And the lamb, who is the lion, who is the conqueror, who has all the power and has all the knowledge, he's unfolding a plan, and his plan is better than your plan. And if you're in him, he has nothing but better ahead for you than behind. And this is a warning to those who are not in Christ. What is to come, if you're not in him, what's to come is worse than where you are now. So this serves as both a warning and... A beautiful declaration of hope that there is that, that the lion and the lamb and your future is dependent on the conqueror who is all powerful and all knowing, and so he knows your situation and he's got a plan for your situation and he has got hope and the hope is in the shed blood of Christ. It's it's firm and secure. It's not a hope. It's not a hope based on nothing but good vibes and good feelings. It's a hope based on the lion, the lamb who was slain, who has conquered death. It's coming and he can open the scroll and he's gonna, his plan to restore it all is in motion and he can execute it. There's nothing that can stop it. So you can have hope. Even when this problem seems huge and you can't see past what you can see now, in the unseen, the lion is worthy and the lamb is worthy to take the scroll and open it and to bring it to fruition. And I, why do we need this? Why do we need this message today? I think you understand why we need this message today. Because sometimes we feel hopeless even though we trust the one who has all hope. And what do you need? Do you need to run to something else that is not as good of a savior? Do you need to run to something of this world to take it away, to make you numb? Do you need to run to something else to make you, to make you forget the pain of the, and the hopelessness? Is that what you need? Do you need a lesser Savior? No. You need to remember the Savior. And you need to look to Him. And today, what I hope is we look and live, that we remember that this is not it, that we only have, a, we're, only, we're nearsighted, and there's unseen things and processes unfolding in His plan to restore His people and restore the creation and to bring His kingdom is in effect. And so you know what happens when the Lamb takes the scroll? Listen to what happens when the Lamb takes the scroll. And He took 
Verse 7, he took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. He's worthy to take it. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. And they each were holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, don't get that messed up, but here's what you have. The whole entire group of the saints and all of creation, they fall before the lamb to worship him because he is worthy to take the scroll. And then they sing a song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You have taken this people, Jesus. You're worthy, and you have taken this people who were once far from God, and you brought them into the kingdom of God, and now they're the people of God. Worthy are you. The verse 11, then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, so this massive crowd erupts and is visible now. And they sang in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, That's right. Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. And so what is the response to understanding that the lamb is the lion who has conquered, who is unfolding history, who has the power to execute and to bring restoration? What is it? You go from weeping to worship. Now, oftentimes the weeping and the worship, we are going to live until he makes all things new we are going to live with the simultaneous weeping and worshiping. They're going to be hand in hand. When we come together, though, we can bring our weeping, but we bring it to a God, and we're reminded through the Scriptures that our weeping will one day result in full worship. And until we do, we come to the one who's worthy, and we say, you're worthy of my trust. You're worthy of all my hope. You are worthy of all creation's worship. You are worthy. Your plan is unfolding. I don't see it. I'm not wise enough to see it. But I will walk one day at a time, reminding myself daily that worthy is the lamb who is slain. He is the lion who is conquered. He has the seven horns of power. He has the seven eyes that know and see all, including my soul and my desperate cries. And he is worthy. And I will worship and I will say and believe these things until I see them in their sight. It's like the man who came to seek healing for his child. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe it. I just can't see it but I believe it, but help me that I don't believe it. And where do these things intersect? They intersect when you come and you look at Jesus and you say you're worthy. 
you're worthy and you're powerful and you're right. And I will walk by faith. The faith that you will have to sustain. So what i like us to do is I want us to pray. And I want us to think about him. We're going to play a video in a minute after I pray. And we're going to contemplate, is he worthy? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bring salvation to the lost, those who are not in Christ that don't have these promises. Would you convict them of their sin and show them that they need to turn from their sins and trust to you by calling out to you in prayer, trusting Christ alone. God, I pray for the saint who is hanging on by a thread, who feels defeated and lost. I pray that you would let them know that there's unseen processes in motion, that the lion and the lamb has the power and he's unfolding history. And that there is hope that is sure as Christ is risen, although it is not seen. So while we live in this life where we grow in between belief and unbelief, we pray like that man did, because you helped that man. We believe. Help our unbelief. And until we do, let our weeping be associated with worship until we know nothing but worship. In the name above every name, we pray, Jesus, amen.
If you would stand, please. We're going to be dismissed with this. I'm going to read to you a portion of Scripture, and you're, as soon as I get done, here is your response. Amen, he is worthy, okay? Amen, he is worthy. I want to read this to you. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You're dismissed.